0: So when we, watch, we actually, when you watch our children leave, it's one of those things. I, I want you to recognize that this is how old Kamari is. These kids are right here. Kind of puts it in perspective, right? I mean, so think about how incapable they are of fighting for themselves, right? And and so when we, when we talk about, um, <clears throat> talk about Jesus, he goes and says, "Let me tell you a story about how you pray," and he tells the story of the persistent widow. He says, "Listen, you should, you should pray." and never cease until justice comes. There's something that's powerful in the context of prayer, especially as we connect, our, as we, as that prayer obviously is birthed in the person of Jesus. And this morning we're going to begin to talk about that and kind of end with this uh, picture of of Tammy and Crehem, so now Randall and I we, we all have been married eleven years august twenty fifth right eleven years, eleven wonderful, fantastic, beautiful years together right we 've never fought in that entire time of eleven years and <laughs> the last hour and done real well the last well well about forty five minutes to be honest babe, but anyway uh... <laughs> No, it's been 11 great years, right? We've enjoyed we've enjoyed almost all of it, and and uh... <laughs> no, it's been no, it's been Do what? Be... Yeah, that's right. That to be fantastic. Um, I was gonna sing a song there, but I'm not gonna do it. Um. So, <laughs> like she knows where I'm going so anyway um but yeah we have been married 11 years and in all of those years like literally every year of those, of those 11 years we've led some form of short-term mission team right we've we've been all we've been to India several different times and uh different places right Randall's been to to Ghana West Africa without me one time actually perfect case scenario she went to Ghana I moved here how great is that literally right we got to the house everything's unpacked right but anyway, so, but about five years ago, she and I together went to Mozambique. Now, Mozambique is in the southern part of India. It shares a border with uh, South Africa. Do what? South Africa. Southern part of Africa, yeah. Southern part of Africa. It shares a border with South Africans on the East Coast. And so we went there and uh, worked in a ministry called Iris Ministries with Heidi Baker. Some of you have heard that name before, and um, and so... Uh, yeah, I had to disciple her in some things. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so we went over there and and uh, just did. Uh, if you know who she is, you'd be laughing at that joke. But anyway, so, um, so anyway, we go over there. And we spent we spent about I think about eight to ten days. Had a, had a, a team from our co- from our college ministry. It's Had a blast. We did like street evangelism, like we're talking like sketchy street evangelism. Like I was afraid of my life, kind of street evangelism. We literally uh, we backpacked into the bush and like went into these indigenous churches and. I got to preach in these little rinky-dink churches in the middle of, middle of, uh, uh, of Mozambique. We slept in tents, and we got these funny stories about bathroom stories. You know, there's always great bathroom stories in the, in the jungle, right? And so uh, we had um, all sorts of just really neat, exciting, and fun things we did in Mozambique. And, and, and obviously, preparation for Mozambique, it was, it was overwhelming. Like, it was just a long trip. We got a big team, a lot of things that we're doing. But I would say this, honestly, that the greatest, uh, probably as much preparation we did for Mozambique... We did preparation for leaving our children here, right? Our children were four and three years old at the time, right? And we weren't leaving them with family, we were leaving them, oh God bless them, with college students, right? And very responsible college students, I mind you, right? Mind you, they were very capable, right? But we were leaving them with college students, so Randall, literally, she was sitting there and all of a sudden she'd go, oh, are we forgetting anything about caring for our children, right? Because, like all of you, our children, our children are our greatest treasure. If you've ever been a child, you were your parents' greatest treasure, right? Your children are your greatest treasure. Like on earth, we we recognize God has given them, uh, given us our children to steward and to lead and to guide and direct into holiness, right? That's that's our job to be their primary discipleship into adulthood, into kingdom effectiveness, and so we recognize they are our treasure. And so the idea of leaving them at four and three years old and not having control of the situation, right? I'm even like having control when it comes to your children, right? And we're leaving them. It's overwhelming. And so literally, Randall and I would talk, and we would talk, and we would talk, and and we got done. We literally, she had created, I didn't create. She created, right? A Probably a five- to six-page manual, right? We're talking that it's 12-point tw- it font, one-inch margins, and single space. I mean, it's like it is there. And so I remember we had, like, the debrief with them, all the, all the kids and the college students. And we, we bring them to our house, and we sit them down on our couch. We like, we like like It's like an interrogation type thing, right? We, they're sitting on this couch. So the couch sinks in, and we're standing above them, right? Here's your manual, right? We, and six hours later, they come out, right? They're looking at it going, and they had that, oh, my gosh, what have we got ourselves into type look, right? Because this is a serious deal. They're going to protect and care for our children. We're leaving. We're leaving. And we're going to do everything that we can to prepare them for success while we are gone because they are caring for our greatest treasure. Do you see that? We're leaving our greatest. We're leaving. And we're leaving behind our greatest treasure, and we're preparing them so that while we're gone, they can succeed and care for our children. In fact, we got home and I looked at said, how, did, "How was it?" I said, "Seriously, it was the easiest thing ever. Literally, Randall went day by day, hour by hour, and told us everything to do. We just went to our manual. Day three, right? And it was so easy. You see, I think that we can make a, a, a very easy make a very easy argument from Scripture." That in the eyes of Jesus, that we are, we are his greatest treasure. In Luke, Jesus says, You, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts or the Holy Spirit to those that ask? Jesus is making this comparison of parenthood and basically saying, you're not actually. You don't think of yourself as being evil, but in comparison to the goodness and the power of God's parenthood over us, all you can do in comparison is be evil. That's how unbelievably holy and set apart He is as a parent, and of course He's going to give good things to His children. In fact, some theologians, when they talk about the the, the story of the uh, of the costly pearl, the pearl of great price, or the treasure that's in a field they would say that it's actually that we are the pearl and that we are the treasure. And it's Jesus who gave up everything. Remember the story says, says in a man, the kingdom of heaven is like this man who goes in to this field and finds a buried treasure. And in great joy, he goes and sells all that he possesses to buy the field because of the treasure that's there. I believe we're that treasure. Now, I would say most, now that theologians disagree with that, and honestly probably would too with the context of that scripture, but I would say this, I don't think Jesus really cares about the context of that scripture, to be honest. But he, he might go, oh, well, I don't really mean that, but yeah, it's so true, you are a pearl of great price to me. You are a great treasure. Of course that's true, right? I'm your parent, I'm a father here, right? I, I love you. And so when we've been talking for the last several weeks about Jesus' resurrection, what we've been talking about is the ascension, That in 40 days, right? Jesus has a period of 40 days and then he's leaving. And he's leaving for a pretty long time. Right? He's still gone. He sent his Holy Spirit, but he's gone, right? Jesus, he hasn't really returned. Right? And so you have this whole dynamic going down of, of, of he's left. So he's got this 40 day span. You know what he's doing? He's sitting his boys down on the couch saying, here's your manual, right? I'm going to prepare you for my leaving, listen to everything that I'm telling you. And so we looked at John chapter 20 and we named where Jesus, he, he names two specific things in John 20 that we've been talking about. Number one, he named their change of position. Remember, we went from being slaves and servants. To now brothers and sisters in the family of God. Like. Talk about a transition, right? You're my slave. I'm just kidding. You're now my brother. And everything that I inherit, Jesus speaking here, right? I'm Jesus real quick. Everything that I've inherited from the Father, it belongs to you. The pretty massive shift of position in our life. Then there's the change of calling. And Jesus says, just as the Father, listen, just as the Father sent me, Now, I have changed your calling, and I am sending you. Basically, I'm leaving, you're here, and you're going in my place. We call that being an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ. You are to to go and to live this life, right? Allowing Jesus to, to flow through. You can never be Jesus, but Jesus can be Jesus through you, everywhere that you go. That's the picture. He's changed your calling. Jesus basically, here's the point, if he say, listen, this is so important to you. If he says it in the time of preparation inside the 40 days, then it's pretty stinking important. He has a window, right? We've got to get the most important things. In the sh- We've got to get everything out. They got the most important things. And so he shares it with them. And John, that was John's perspective of what Jesus was sharing. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to dive in to Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to get Luke's perspective of, of what was he was thinking that Jesus was saying that was of utmost importance to the disciples. Does that make sense, right? Luke is coming, he has a different perspective, he's, he's still sharing the heart of Jesus to us in this 40 day time of preparation, right? His 4 to, it's Jesus four to 6 page manual, basically, because I'm getting at. Ready? So here we go. Luke 24, starting in verse 36, going to verse 43. It says this. Real quick, just to kind of give you a little background. This is they they're basically this is this is just after the road to Emmaus. I mean, literally just after. Remember remember the road to Emmaus. G, uh, these two probably maybe a husband and wife tandem. We're not real sure, but they were uh, or just two good friends walking from Jerusalem back to their house. And it says their their heads are down, they're downcast, and then this guy walks up. We know it's Jesus, right? But dude walks up, starts walking with them, and at, and starts dialoguing with them, right? They invite him to their home, and it says that Jesus. He he took the you know may I may I stand here and do the whole little blessing and ceremony and he takes the bread and breaks it and kind of gives them the aha look right and they go it's Jesus and he disappears. And so after this really long depressing walk right back to their hometown, they're like they had a great idea. Let's run all the way back and tell the brothers and sisters what we just experienced, right? And so they start hoofing it. Oh, we got to tell them. Oh, this is exciting, right? This is, this is, and they're stopping along the way. Oh, 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 let's go again, right? They're running back. They get there. and say, you're not going to believe what happened. We were walking, walking along the path. And all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. We didn't know Jesus was living. We were so depressed. All of a sudden, he came to the table. And we broke the bread. We knew was table. Oh, my God. And all of a sudden, poof, Jesus is there. It says right here in 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Why did he say that? Because, verse 37, they were startled and they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40, when he had done, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of bread, excuse me, a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Just imagine, I mean, seriously, just put yourself into their shoes like I always talk about doing, right? It's a real story, real time, real people, real emotions. And they're sitting there in the moment, having this conversation, and poof, Jesus is there. And guess what they do? They freak out just like all of you. Whoa! Right? Right? That's why it says. They were startled, right? You, you, oh, that's startled. Startled's not, hey, what's up? That's what like, oh, right? That's startled, okay? I'm just getting the picture here. They're startled. Jesus sees it. Like, oh, sorry, hey, it's just me, right? They're frightened. Because when they've been talking, you know what they've been saying? On the road, on the, they're sitting there with these dudes from the road to Emmaus. They're saying, are you sure it wasn't a ghost? Maybe it was just the spirit of Jesus came back. It wasn't really there. Maybe it was like an apparition of sorts. Maybe you're just kind of imagining it, right? And so they're having this. And someone, you know, you know how when you were a kid and you start talking about ghosts, you started getting scared all of a sudden. So someone's sitting there going, oh, ghost, right? And all of a sudden, boom, ghost is there. Ah! They're startled, right? It's happening in the moment. It's a real story, real time action here. And Jesus comes down and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Whew. He speaks at peace, right? And he begins talking to them. He says, listen, I'm not a ghost, he says, look at my, look, look at my hands. They're real. They have little holes in them. Look at, look at the scars on my feet. They're there, right? I'm, I'm physically here. If, don't, if things aren't enough for you, then go ahead and touch, right? Just go, Here, here's my hand. Touch it. It's squishy pink, right? Whatever it is, right? It's squishy over here, bloop, bloop right? It's, it's flesh, right? I'm here. I'm here. And they're still like, oh. He says, okay, cherry on top. Let me top it off. I'm hungry. Ghosts aren't hungry. Give me something to eat. And they're kind of like, push it across the table to him like this, right? And and then he takes the fork, picks it up, or takes his finger. I don't know what he does, right? He puts it in his mouth, and the whole thought is, if he's really a ghost, it's going to go into his fake mouth and go out his fake body down to the floor, right? So they put it in, and they go, like, doesn't look down. All right, all right, right? Jesus is in the moment, and he comes back. And Luke spins from 36 to verse 43. know what he's doing? He is speaking to the disciples and and speaking to us that it was imperative to Jesus that disciples believe that Jesus' resurrection was physical in nature, a physical body, not some sort of spiritual ghostly apparition that just happened to show up, but literally was the physical body of Jesus, squishy flesh and all, resurrected into the moment. Part of the reason that Luke is doing this is because of the, of the, the first major heresy, right? It's the first major heresy the early church dealt with called Gnosticism, which simply meant this. It was this group of people who said, well, Jesus wasn't actually a physical body. He was just spiritual ghostly apparition. It's pretty, it's pretty believable looking. It wasn't actually real, so Luke's coming and saying, no, no, no. When the disciples were here, Jesus showed him the scars, showed him his hands. They touched his physical body with squishiness, and then he ate fish. Listen, it was imperative to to, to Jesus that the disciples believe this. And Luke is even speaking. it. Listen, this is true. In fact, it's a foundation. Listen, it is a foundation in our lives of the physical resurrection For us to have kingdom success is in this life. When I say kingdom success, that's not success that anyone on this planet gets to determine. It's what Jesus determines we're being successful in in the things of his kingdom, of obedience and following him, okay? You can't qualify it. Only Jesus can. But Jesus is saying, listen, he's saying, if you're going to be my disciples and follow me, then you have to believe in a physical resurrection. Physical resurrection. So, Jesus, it's imperative they agree with him. So why? Why, why is it so important? Let's look at a couple of verses, Romans chapter 1, 3 through 4, and then Colossians 1, 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can just read along on the screen. Paul says this in, in Romans, regarding his son, talking about Jesus, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Pause. That's important for this reason. Basically, it shows that he fulfilled the prophetic, this like thing from the Old Testament that he actually was the Christ. The Christ had to come from the descendant of David. So he's making a point. So just so you know, biblically speaking, he's part of the same family he's supposed to be a part of, right? Verse 4, so Jesus. And who through the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of God, he was declared with power to be the Son of God, By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is coming and saying, listen, God has declared with power that Jesus is the son of God because we see it expressed in the resurrection. So what that means simply is this. When. To be the Son of God, according to the Pharisees, meant that Jesus was claiming to be equal with God. And so Paul is coming here in Romans and saying, listen, God, when God raised Jesus from the dead in the resurrection, it was a declaration to all of creation and to all of humanity that Jesus actually was the Son of God, equal with God, which gives him power, gives him authority, and gives him preeminence, and gives him superiority in all things. Goes on in Colossians 1.18, talking about Jesus and He, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So listen, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. So, so Paul again is coming to the Colossians and saying, listen guys, Jesus died. He had a physical resurrection. He was the firstborn from among the dead, and it points to his supremacy. The point I want—the the deal is this: there are other people who've been raised from the dead. Remember, you know, Lazarus was a prime example. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but guess what? He died again, right? Jesus was resurrected, and guess what? He never died. Everybody, listen. If you don't hear anything I say it this morning, I hear this, okay? The point, the reason this is important, because if he conquered death, death had its origin in sin, which meant that he now had power and authority over sin, which means that he had power and authority over all the fruit of sin, of death and of hell and of sickness and of sin. All of this. Basically, Paul's coming in and writing and saying, the resurrection points... The preeminence and the superiority and the power of the living Jesus, who is God, who has preeminence and power and authority over all things related to the enemy and over all of creation. And please remember that the enemy and everything connected to him is created, which means Jesus is saying, I have power and authority and preeminence and superiority over all of this, and by the way, you have inherited that also because you were part of my family. He's tracking with that. Because of Jesus in us, followers of Jesus, there's this divine authority and power that resides in us to do the things of God's kingdom here on earth. And it has nothing to do with you. It's simply your response to his call in the things that he gives you. That's why the demons in hell tremble every morning when you wake up and your feet touch the ground. Because they know how dangerous you are if you believe this and live in this. So as Jesus was sitting there with his disciples on the couch, right, preparing to leave... And he's, he's saying, listen, here's your manual. He turns to page two, right? Luke 24 says, listen guys, you have to believe in my physical resurrection because my resurrection points to the power that I have because of God, right? That's what, that's what Paul's going to later say that because of my resurrection, it points to me being the son of God. I have supremacy over all things because I died, I was resurrected and guess what? I've never died again. But listen to this. Let's keep on going in John chapter 11. This is this should mess you up in a good way. 11 John 11:25 11, and 26. Jesus is speaking to Martha. It's, it's wonderful. He's he's speaking this message right at the death of, of, of Lazarus. Martha, listen. Martha ain't happy with Jesus. He ain't happy with Jesus because Jesus could have come and healed Lazarus and he let him die. Right. So he, she's mad at him. She's mad at him. Right. And then she comes and says, if you had been here, Jesus, Lazarus would still be living. It's your fault. All right. And Jesus, that's basically, I'm just kind of paraphrasing, okay? That's basically what she was saying. <clears throat> she's a fiery woman. She was. Jesus looks at her with kindness and compassion because she's broken because her brothers just died. Jesus wept in that moment. That's the, remember Jesus wept? Jesus wept over this, okay? He says, listen, Martha, I am, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. I am resurrection, period. I am life, period. He, I'm going to say he or she, they who believe in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe me, Martha? Jesus kind of says, I am resurrection. We've already said, I am authority. I am power. I am supreme. I am preeminent. I am God. I am resurrection and I, oh, I am life. Anything that has to do with life, I am that. I'm resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is coming in the moment. He's basically saying, listen, I'm supreme. And he's coming and saying, listen, those who, who believe in me, this is the, the Greek word pistua, which means, what, what does it mean? I put it on the screen real quick. I, I don't look at my notes. Put it on there, Eddie. Come on. Put Completely trust or put our faith in God, right? Com- completely trust. All of our trust. All of our faith. All of our energies rest on God. Think, she's saying, whoever pastuo me, right, who believes in me, puts all of their trust, all of their faith, all of their energies to lean into me and to rely upon me for everything. They will ne- Their physical body will die, but man, paradoxically, they will never die. In fact, guess what? I'm the first one. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He's pointing, saying, listen, if you will believe just like the disciples, if you will believe in this resurrection, if you will believe he is that, that he is life, if you give your life to that, if you pastua with that, right? This All of your energies, all of your actions expressing this, as you live that, you will be just like him meaning you too have authority over death because of the work of Jesus in us. And he looks at his disciples and says, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone for a while. And it's imperative that you know these things if you're going to have kingdom success. You must know these. He looked at Martha he looked at her in John 11. He says, Now, Martha, do you believe me? It's a good question, right? Do you believe me? You see, Jesus, I believe, asked every single one of us that exact same question. Hey, that's great that you know this about the resurrection. It's great that you have Easter every year. That's fantastic. You celebrate and whoop it up, right? Sing cool songs at Easter. That's fantastic. You wear pastels. All this stuff is fantastic, right? It is. It's great. It's great. But do you believe it? Do you believe in the fruit of it? Are you expressing it in your life? Is everything in your life leaning into it? Do you have faith in every situation, every moment? Listen, one of the greatest lessons that Tammy learned in this, that she said, Steve, the greatest, listen, this is going to be hard for some of you, I'm just going to be honest, this is going to be really hard for you. She said, the greatest lesson that our children learn is not intercession and prayer. That comes easy to us. It's easy for us to fast for weeks and months, right? For weeks, excuse me. It's easy for us to fast for weeks. That's not hard. She said, but one of the things that was good for our children was to not be offended by God. And to not live offended if God didn't do or God wasn't moving the way we wanted to move, our kids learn that what no matter what happens we will not be offended, and we will worship Him and we will honor Him and we will say He is God even if we don't understand why. What, even if even if uh, Kamari leaves, we will say to them we will not be offended. God is God. The Lord is the Lord. He is preeminent. He is all-powerful, and he has authority. And although we don't understand all, we will not be offended. And their kids, when the k- uncle came, they said, Tammy and Mom, we will not listen. Ten-year-old kids, God, and Mom, we will not be offended. We do not understand, but we will not be offended, and we will worship him. That if she had been taken that Monday or that Wednesday, you know what they would have done that night? They'd have gone back into a worship service and worshiped and prayed and thanked God for being the Lord over Kamari. This is what it means for the resurrection. It means that in every facet of every day of your life, you are leaning into Jesus. You are crying out for a miracle, right? You're crying out. Listen, if you're not crying out for your business and for your workplace, then you're missing Jesus and the power of the resurrection. If you're not crying out for your neighbors and giving your life to Jesus for them, then you're missing Jesus, right? You're missing the resurrection. If you're not crying out for revival in your family, you're missing the reality of the resurrection and Jesus in your life. You're not crying out for revival, not just at Vintage, but in the entire state of georgia may may georgia be a hotbed for the movement of the spirit right just to send life into all these places you're not praying for that we're missing jesus right we need to link arms with our friends and crew listen they pray for us every stinking week for god to move in power 50 kids praying for vintage 242 they're praying for me that i won't suck as a pastor true story True story, because they're believing they're contending, they're fighting with perseverance. That's the message here. We learn from these children. Timmy Ma, we hear that's happening. And we look in the room over here and they look and there's a group of 15 kids and they're not going, oh, Jesus, if it is your will. They pray, Jesus, you are the defender of the orphan and the defender of the widow. We pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've already spoken it, Jesus, for a breakthrough for our sister God. We're crying out, right? And they'll pray and they'll pray and they'll pray and they don't stop. Jesus told us for 24 days, literally, they prayed. Never stopping. Contending. Because Why? They believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed in the message that he preached. And Jesus speaks to us, and they're speaking to us even today, saying, we, as followers of Jesus, you must believe not just in the resurrection here with your head, but the the resurrection and its reality for your life so that we're no longer living defeated. Listen, I shared this word to several people. And I'll just share it with y'all so we can all kind of share this word. I was praying the other day, and listen, I've talked to so many people at Vintage over the last several weeks and say, how are you? And they all say the same thing. I'm in a funk. I feel overwhelmed. I feel frustrated. Whatever you you've named it, right? Right. All of us have that. Have whatever phrase we use, and 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 I'm like, and I was feeling, that, I we're feeling ourselves, we're like, oh, what is this? Like it's like oppressive. This weight. What is this thing? And so I was went to the Lord and said, God, what are you doing in this? And God just spoke. He said, Listen. He said, frustration is always the precursor to my spirit moving in power. Always frustration, angst. Intention, listen, creation, I, I think I told it somebody the other night, creation speaks prophetically to this. You've got me, m- mothers, you know it. You sit there with, the big old, with this big old baby in your belly. I mean, you look skinny, of course, right? But you got this big old baby in your belly, right? You look real pretty, okay? You're just, you're just living in that moment, right? You're this whole dynamic going down. What is it? You're feeling tension, right? It's affecting your bladder, affecting your lungs, affecting everything inside of you, right? And what happens? Like, oh, you're screaming bloody murder in the hospital, wherever you are, right? It's tension, right? Frustration. And all of a sudden, beauty pops out. I mean, Seriously. Do you recognize that everything in creation was created for the purpose of speaking to who Jesus is? Everything speaks prophetically to who Jesus is. A little bird. I mean, these, I'm naming the things that God reminded me of when I'm praying. That's why I'm pulling these out, things out. A baby bird sitting in the egg. It's time to hatch. What do they have to do? They have to peck their way out. It's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. But guess what happens? In the midst of pecking and their frustration, their, their muscles become strong enough... To actually sustain themselves once they get out. Uh, a chicken or a little bird cannot sustain life if they, if they don't pluck, pluck their own, whatever, get their way out of their own egg. Right? Whatever it is. They know what I'm talking about, right? They have to do it themselves. They have to live in the frustration to get to the other side of it. It's the same thing with, with the, with the caterpillar. And this again, the things that God named. Caterpillar walks over, opens a little, gets a little chrysalis thing, goes and hangs out for a little while, boom, they have to eat their way out. I mean, they're getting they're not full, and they're like they're but this like it's sustenance for them, right? This frustration, like, oh, I'm so tired of eating this. This is kind of gross, kind of webby looking, this is kind of gross, right? Ew. But I'm gonna eat on my way out of it, and boom, butterfly pops out. God spoke and said there are so many people who had to get to the point of frustration and they turn to the left and totally miss what's over here. God said, please tell them when they get the frustration to praise me because something's about to break free. And it may not happen exactly in their timing, but in my timing it will. Praise God. That is the message of the resurrection. Jesus experienced dynamic tension on the cross. And what did he bring? He brought down the gates of hell. And took authority over everything it represented. And it says, oh, by the way, you're part of my family. You can have that authority too. Do you pray with that conviction? Because when they pray, trust me, when they pray, they pray with authority. They go believing Jesus loves them. That God's moving in power every 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 Sunday night as they fast and pray. They pray for revival across the nations. They give themselves to the 10:40 window, the most unreached people group in all of the world, stretching from like Africa all the way over to Japan. That stretch of places where 80% of the world religions began, and 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 our, our brothers and sisters are fighting war today. Right? They're there. They're praying for this area, in power. They've been praying for 10, 11 years crying out for God, believing Him, leaning into Him. What are you experiencing the resurrection in? What are you praying into? What are you believing God for? What are you doing? It's not about your actions, but love of God is always expressed in action. That's Bible 101. This is how I know that you love me. You obey my commands. There's action to our obedience. Do you believe it? Belief is always expressed in action. Belief is never here. It starts here and works out this way. Do you believe it? Are you expressing it? Do you actually believe, men, that you have power over the sin that you name every day in your mind? Do you? Do you believe that God has already given you power? I told I told our, our college students the other night, I said... Isn't it funny that God put the fruit of self-control at the end of the fruit for us guys? So you have, can't multitask with all, all the other names on the list. He puts that with the last because this is what we need most. Self-control. Our eyes, our thoughts, whatever it may be. This is the resurrection. If your marriage is awful and you hate your spouse right now, that's Okay. Why not you lean into the resurrection? Why don't you humble yourself and come before Jesus to say, I'm, I'm sorry for being an arrogant fool. You should pray another word to Jesus in that. You come and you repent. You come and say, but Jesus, I come with the power of your resurrection. And Jesus, I'm believing you for a breakthrough in areas of brokenness. We need to be a church where divorce stops. We do. All right. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I know I said a lot of things this morning, and I feel like you're landing with some specific people. Thank you, Jesus. They need to hear it. But Father, we come this morning and we just say, Jesus, we lean into your resurrection. We lean into your power. We lean into your authority. We lean into your preeminence and your superiority. We lean into the fact that you are God, that you are a creator, that you are the great I am. And Father, we can we just say this morning, in our areas of unbelief, God help us to believe. Father, I recognize there are those this morning who are like, I would like to believe that. I'm just not sure that I can Thank you for letting them be honest, Lord. And I thank you for your grace in that. And just help them to believe, Jesus. For those, God, who are just asleep, would you draw them awake out of your love and wake them up, God, to the fact that you're not condemning them, but you're convicting them. It's telling them it's time to get up. It's time to get up. Let's, let's run the race up before you. Let's live the resurrection life. And, Father, this morning I pray, Jesus, that you would do in us as you will. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.